Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Our guest today is the COO of Connect and Go, Francois Pierre Moffat. Connect and Go is a world leader in smart wearable solutions for guest experience in leisure and entertainment. Francois Pierre, or FP, specializes in helping visionary founders and investors scale companies by building high performance teams and establishing a structured and disciplined operational foundation. At Connect and Go, FP led the transformation of the company from being a service provider for the event space to a product company driven by recurring revenue from permanent installations such as amusement parks, family entertainment centers, and resorts. Previously, he was COO at SoftDesk, a leader in solar and roofing software, where he tripled the monthly recurring revenue in less than two years. Francois Pierre and his wife are proud parents of two daughters, and you'll find them on the ski hills in the winter and on the baseball fields in the summer. And as uh, we were just getting started, FP said that as soon as he's done recording this podcast, he's hopping in the car to head off to the ski hill. So thanks for sharing with us today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me, Cameron. Are you getting the same snowstorm that we had out west a couple of days ago? Is it starting to hit the east right now? Uh, I don't know if it's the same, but that's the the big one. I think that did New York in uh, in particular. But uh, uh, as you know, sometimes down south, the the storm is a bigger there than than here. But yeah, yeah. took the time. I, I really believe in work life integration. So did the full day work, and then uh, we'll enjoy a couple of hours uh, before dinner tonight. Awesome. That's great. Oh, yeah, you can be down and back. So tell me, tell me a little bit about Connect and Go. I'm curious um, what what the company does exactly and what kind of installations or the, where the products are. Yeah, sure. Uh, so Connect and Go was started uh, what, eight years ago as uh, really a company specializing in events using RFID wristbands. So specifically doing uh, access control, uh, guest activations and uh, uh, cashless payments. And, uh, you know, the, the, the founders grew a very good uh, business, dig the, the big events uh, in Canada, such as uh, Oshiaga, Ilsonic, Festival de Tite Quebec, um, went to the Super Bowl, Olympic Games, uh, South by Southwest. And, uh, you know, up, up until the day, uh, they did as well uh, the, the, uh, the Fire Festival. So actually, if you've seen the documentary. Yeah. And the wristband on which they're supposed to have money, it was actually a Connect and Go uh, wristband. Wow. And uh, actually, I, I, I was not with the company at the time, but it was a, you know, a, a turning point uh, of, of moving from the event space where, where business is, is not necessarily reliable. You don't know if you're going to get the same gig year in, year out. Not, you know, organizers, as we had in that example, are not, um, let's say, financially uh, solid. So, so. The decision was made at the time by the, the founding team, uh, Dominique and Anthony, to move towards a, a more, uh, you know, recurring model of revenue in permanent installations, such as um, uh, theme parks, water parks, uh, resorts, where the same technology, so uh, RFID and, and the software behind, can be used to manage access, like, like uh, unlock doors, gates, uh, be able to, you know, manage a guest profile, live different experiences, uh, like, I don't know, activate a sound and light show, uh, make cashless payments. And uh, that's, uh, you know, about at that time that uh, I joined the team to kind of help that, uh, you know, that, that pivot 
uh, from the event space. And, and actually, you know, with hindsight, uh, uh, you know, it, it's, it was a, the move to make as uh, with COVID, as, as you know, there's, there's been no events for a year. Right. And this is why, you know, we're, we're still alive and, and thriving today. Yeah, no kidding. That would have been a big shock to the system. Does your um, RFID technology, uh, years ago when my kids were young, they had these little leg bracelets for when they were skiing and it would show where they were on the mountain. Does yours do that kind of stuff as well? Uh, as I said, all the intelligence is in the software behind. So we have like, and, and really our goal, we want to make the technology affordable uh, for, uh, I would say, the, the mid-size and then smaller size uh, attractions. Uh, therefore, we, we use very affordable chips and, and all the intelligence is in the, the data that we have uh, behind in the systems. Huh. Where's your technology built? Is it built in Canada? Do you have teams in the US? Are you over in Europe? Yeah, yeah. We're uh, 100% uh, you know, made in Canada, in Montreal. And uh, we have uh, sales offices in uh, Orlando in the US and uh, Paris in France. Montreal, Paris. Okay, interesting. And then, so the fact that you're Canadian, that probably gives you a good entry point into the U.S. Just because your cost, our cost of labor, is so much cheaper up here than it is in the U.S. Is that yeah, true or like no? For any company, I think it's a big advantage being uh, in Canada. You know, whether it's uh, you know uh, Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, or the, the Waterloo Kitchener uh, corridor. Um, yes, for sure. You know, access to great talent, and also the fact that you know we're, we're in the middle between uh, you know Europe and and U.S. So uh, which are, you know, uh, anyway, are our uh, biggest, you know, target markets. And how many employees do you have now? We're currently at 25. 25. So, so small base. So you're actually, is it just because the technology is already developed that you can, is most of your team sales and marketing or what's, what's the makeup of the 25? Well, I think now, now I think we're about two thirds uh, product and tech and, and the rest sales and marketing. And for sure, as I was saying earlier, uh, you know, with COVID, we, we downsize, you know, we, we're very, I think, proactive and quick to downsize the company. We were about 50 to 55 at the wow. beginning of COVID and, and, and you know, really uh, moved very quickly into our, in order to preserve cash and make sure that, you know, we would go through the crisis while, you know, in parallel, you know, continue to invest, uh, you know, in our product uh, and, and, you know, keeping a great company culture and making sure that the whole team is engaged. How did, how did you decide what to cut? I mean, we're, we're kind of 10 months in right now. Yep. How did you make the decisions on what to cut and what to invest in? And uh, how did you, and when did you start making those cuts? Yeah, I mean, uh, it was really a crazy period. I mean, uh, you know, if you think about it, it's a little bit like a, a car crash where, you know, everything happens in, in kind of slow motion. So I think that the first big sign, I mean, for myself is, uh, I think it was spring break uh, last March, of, on March 5th, uh, Sequoia Capital, uh, you know, published an article of, you know, the, the black swan of 2020, where they kind of predicted what the impact of COVID could have on businesses. And, and there were, you know, some, some key elements in terms of, you know, preserving cash, try to raise additional capital if you can, um, you know, uh, expect longer sales cycle, make sure you, you know, you know, you consider downsizing your marketing expense because you may not get the same return. And, uh, you know, at the time of March, things evolved very quickly. It wasn't seen as a big uh, threat, but like within a couple of weeks, it, it, it realized. And uh, we went, you know, from a Friday to the Monday to be 100% working remotely. And, and then we were seeing the events being caught, you know, being canceled one after the other. Uh, and, and, you know, we reacted pretty quickly. So 
maybe I think less than a week after kind of the confirmation that, uh, uh, you know, confinement and, and uh, events being canceled, uh, you know, we, we let go, you know, put on, on temporary leave, uh, I think about uh, 15 people. And, and actually we were, you know, one of the few who kind of acted very, very fast. We said, hey, okay, you know, we're really proactive. Uh, but as, I mean, but we, it was just the beginning. So yep. you know, I think two to three weeks after, unfortunately, you know, we uh, had to let go another 10 people. And, and specifically, uh, for sure, the focus was more uh, everybody related to operations and events uh, that was put kind of uh, on furlough and, and with the hope that things would go back somewhere in you know uh fall of, of of 2020 uh and and that's you know we made those decisions and then after that we really focused on you know who are the key people in the organization uh that are that are multi-talent that can help us uh you know go through the uh uh the crisis and at the same time as we were building in our new product for permanent installation we didn't want it to touch to anything that is uh on, on one end, uh, building IP, uh, and on the other hand, continue to, you know, kind of use the opportunity because we were seeing the impact on all our competitors uh, that were kind of in, in, you know, financial distress. So, okay, it's the time to invest in uh, building new relationships. Uh, so we kept our, our, our sales, our full sales and marketing staff. Interesting. Yeah. So that's, I, I liked some of the decision-making around the multi-talented people too, kind of looking for, I used to call it in the very early stage of a company, you look for a lot of jack of all trades, master of none, right? The people that can kind of do everything. Whereas when you get bigger and more mature, you need the experts, but those are unfortunately sometimes the first people you have to cut too, right? If that's all they're good at. So how's the company doing then? Good, good, good. I, I think even, you know, during that, that whole period, uh, you know, we took the opportunity to uh, focus a lot on, on you know, improving uh, internal company culture and engagement. Uh, I, I think even what's, you know, a bit uh, um, so, so or surprising and exciting for us is actually our uh, level of employee engagement was actually higher after uh, the, uh, you know, all, all the, the, the layoffs we had to, uh, we had to do. Because I think we, we know we took a lot of time to, to improve as well with the fact that we were now remote to improve internal communications. So, so I think, you know, from moving to having a monthly, uh, you know, team get together, we moved to a, to a weekly that we kept, you know, at the beginning, just because we were in crisis management and, and that we kept since then. Um, we as well um, uh, took time to establish a mentorship program where, where we helped connect people from our team with, with external mentors to continue their growth and development. And the rest was all about uh, product uh, product development. And, you know, it allowed us even during the pandemic to deploy, uh, I think, a new product in, in three uh, major attractions uh, here in Quebec and, and uh, Canada and the U.S. Uh, and uh, we were able, I think, to since then, uh, you know, because we made all those moves really early, we actually were able to make a, you know a few hires since then, and uh, as well, I, I think you know uh, with the fact that we were able to raise some additional capital for from our uh, current investors, you know we're well positioned and, and now more in investment mode as we see COVID will will slowly get away and sure. uh, in a in a I would say aggressive position. How much have you raised in investment capital? Uh, so uh, I think we had raised in uh, 2019 uh, seven million, and we raised another four 
back in the uh, back in the spring. And and where are you raising that money in the U.S.? Are you raising it in Canada as well? Uh, Canada. Are you doing anything with espresso capital? Uh, no, no, no. I know uh, I know no. the guys at uh, at espresso, but uh, no, not working uh, with them right now. Who are you working with up here? Uh, up here, we're, we're working with the, uh, a couple of, uh, a couple of uh, angel investors, and uh, you know, one investor we you know I, I can't mention, but like uh, uh, one of uh, well-known businessmen in, in Quebec is, is is backing us, and and then actually that's that's really good to see their um, uh, their their involvement and the fact that through the crisis, I think they really appreciated the fact that as a leadership team we were you know really proactive on top of things. And I think that's why they've decided to reinvest in us. Does the well-known business person have the letter G in his name? Uh, I can't tell. <laughs> I um, can't so Cirque du Soleil went out of business and they were the big Montreal huge success story. Are they going to come back into the event space at all? Or do you know what's happening with them? Uh, but actually, uh, we've, you know, the, the, I would say the creative industry in Montreal is pretty uh, close. Uh, I think we're, you know, uh, we're constantly talking about, uh, you know, opportunities with them, thinking as well as, uh, as other uh, great names in Montreal, like uh, Moment Factory, for example, um, think well. Uh, yeah, so, so, so I think for them, I mean, that's, uh, you know, it, it maybe the difference between the Cirque du Soleil or, or a business like ours is that they're hundred percent like from one day to the next, they have zero revenue uh, because they're they're hundred percent uh, you know uh, dependent on, on on shows. And I think and again, I'm, I'm not there to tell what the the Cirque should do, but I, I think maybe it opens opportunity to say because they have a lot of great content, yeah. as other ways to monetize it than than live shows. Yeah, I think I think at some point they'll come back maybe in a slightly different way. But that was a big shock when I saw that one happening for sure. Yeah, Montreal has a really strong, um, strong technology center that's built, been building there too. How did you gain the entry points? How did Connect and Go get the entry points into some of these large events? How do you sell? How do you sell to those large events and large, um, you know, businesses? Uh, I think it's a matter of uh, network building. It, it remains uh, still a small world, uh, the, you know, the, the, the agency's world. Uh, so that that's being part, you know, I think uh, Anthony, one of the co-founders has been in there since the beginning, developed a, a big uh, network. And typically, you know, one success leads to another. The event space in particular is, is, is pretty uh, hectic and demanding. And I think, you know, in the early years of Connect and Go, I mean, it was a, a really an all-star team of, of, of people that would like give it all during an event of, of three to four days where sometimes they, you know, they, 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 they can't even sleep. And I think that's how the company built its reputation. And, and, you know, from the moment you start to have big names, it creates credibility. And then, you know, people naturally come to us. And you mentioned um, South, excuse me, South by Southwest. Was South by a good, excuse me. Wow. You mentioned South by Southwest. Were they an entry point for you into some of the events as well? Yeah. Yeah, as well. And I think, you know, every time we go to, to, uh, to an, or we do an event, uh, we're actually, you know, it's an opportunity for us as well to bring, you know, potential clients of us to show uh, our technology, the way we operate, uh, meet with our team. And, and typically that's kind of a, an entry point for, you know, new opportunities with them.
So talk about the the um, the pivot that you then made from the event space into uh, what did what did you call the new kind of space yeah. there, folks? Yeah, with leisure and attraction. So we call it you know internally it's permanent installations, but really you know looking at uh, you know clients we can work on you know uh, you know with with agreements of, of three to five years versus an event that will be three to five days. Oh, that makes sense. Okay, so was that a strategic? decision that you made as a company or did you just stumble upon that opportunity and then say wow that we like this better uh no stra- uh, really a strategic decision that's a little bit how the, the first big round of funding was uh, uh was based on and uh really an opportunity to bring i mean basically it's the same applications as how you know you help people in terms of uh, purchasing a ticket uh accessing a site securely uh, you know, doing cashless payments and live experiences. It was just rather than taking the experience and make it work for three days is to put, you know, a, a solid infrastructure in place to, to have it uh, working year, year round at uh, the customer's premises. And then you mentioned, you mentioned offices in Montreal, Florida, and Paris. Are you going after Disney? Is that a target client for you? Is that where Florida? No, no, I- Right now, a little bit like uh, I, I think it's a little bit the, the, the playbook of, of many uh, tech, company, tech companies going up the ladder. Really, what we're, we're looking at is the small and <laughs> mid-sized markets because we're able to develop a, a, a technology and make it affordable right. for a, a, your, your small or medium part that will, be maybe, that will have maybe 100,000 guests or, or less per year. Yeah, yeah, as I gotcha. As Disney. So like the small water parks, the small theme parks, the small attractions, that makes exactly. sense. You know, it's a little bit like, you know, uh, feedback we had last year from some, you know, uh, guests and parks say, hey, you know, I feel like I'm at, uh, I'm at uh, in Disney, in a, I would say in a medium park uh, here in Quebec. Makes sense. It's interesting. I, I watched Starbucks in the early days and how they broke onto the airlines to start having their coffee served on airlines. They first went after Horizon Air and then after Horizon, they got Alaska and then after Alaska, they got United. You know, they didn't go right for United. They had to kind of get into the space and, and grow up yeah. from there. Um, wh- how many countries are, do you have your products in now? Uh, right now, in terms of, uh, we've done, I think, events, I mean, all over the world. I can't name them, uh, I would say all countries we've been. I think we've been on all continents. Uh, but from a permanent installation base, uh, North America, so Canada and US. Okay. Similar to the CO Alliance, we we just signed our sixth, our member from our sixth continent, the CO Alliance. So somebody's saying we need we need the COO from the Antarctic installation. So I'm like, <laughs> yeah, whatever, we'll work on that one. Um, all right. So t- you mentioned culture. I'm curious how your culture had to shift when COVID happened, but then just also talk to us about about your culture internally at uh, inside of Connect and Go. Yeah, uh, but I, I think the uh, you know. As you know, we had to face COVID. We were facing as well that pivot from from uh, you know an events like services based organization to being a product based, uh, meaning that we had to be a lot more, I would say, intentional and 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 deliberate uh, about uh, everything we do. So we kind of used the, the I mean the whole opportunity as operationally we were less like occupied in a day to day to you know uh, introduced uh, uh, OKRs. Uh, implemented. I think we we had done already a few rounds of uh, quarterly evaluations, but really strengthened that part. Uh, like it, in all the foundation, uh, you know, make sure that there's one-on-ones across the organization and, and measure that. Uh, on top of that, we reviewed, we took the opportunity to review uh, 
you know, our, our company values, which I think with time, we're not necessarily reflecting the, the team that we, uh, that we had. Uh, and, and yeah, and find opportunities with uh, the, you know, we're, it's, a, it's a bit funny because we're, you know, we've been far away from each other for a long period of time, but I, don't, I think as, as a team, we've never been as close and in contact just because we, we, we increased communication mm. as crazy. And there's still some work to do, but, but we've been a long way. You mentioned um, values and the values weren't aligned with some of our team. Explain that to me. Was it that you just had some of the wrong people in the company and, you, and because of the core values or that the core values maybe weren't yet? Did you have to change the core values or did you have to change the people? Uh, I mean, I'd say we did a bit of both uh, with uh, first uh, the, the transformation as, uh, you know, again, moving from a services organization to a product organization and where I think in the past, the company valued a lot, uh, I would say, effort over performance. We became more of a you know, performance and results-oriented uh, organization. And, and at the time, I think that the values, and it, I think it's normal in, in any startup, uh, you, know, you don't have necessarily all the insight and experience, so they kind of you know, came from the top and, and were uh, kind of, uh, I would say, brought down to the team. Now, in that case, we turned the model all around. We involved, uh, I think, everyone from the ground up to, to kind of come up with the values. And actually, it made the exercise a bit tedious uh, but, but so, and, and, and risky at some point, but really useful because, uh, you know, a bit my role was kind of to be the, 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 the mediator or the negotiator between the team the founders, the CEO, and find, okay, what's exactly our, our common ground where we're all aligned? And, and it required a lot of work, uh, but, you know, we're very proud of, of, of what we've done because we were really able to find the essence that connected everyone in the company. I like that a lot. So are Dominic and Anthony were the two founders? Are they still both with the company today? Yeah. And what was it like for you to come in as a senior person from the outside into a, how many employees were there when you joined? Uh, we're about, uh, I think for, uh, 30 to 40 at a time okay. and on the, the verge of, of doing an acquisition that happened just a, you know, a few weeks after I joined yep. and, um, uh, you know, I mean, it was good. What, what I really like about the setup, that's a little bit in the same environment that I joined, you know, the, the, the uh, soft desk, the previous company I was with, with, you know, a, uh, you know, uh, two founders, uh, which uh, again, uh, very charismatic. They have a uh, you know great vision, great creativity. Uh, just raised some new funding, uh, new uh, funding, and and needed someone to really you know op- you know operate the business and kind of a little bit be the adult in the room uh, and and bring like get them off you know the 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 day to day where they felt that they didn't have what was needed then uh, for the company uh, and as well, like bring structure uh, and, and help now scale, uh, scale the company. So kind of when I joined the founder, the founders, the role, and that's a little bit how, what I became today is so, okay. We want someone who's going to act one day as the operating president where us, you know, we focus on, on, you know, uh, business development and uh, strategy. Sure. And what was it like coming into the company that, you know, they already had a management team in place and you were kind of the outsider coming in as a senior person. How did, how did that work? How did you make that work? Yeah. I mean, the, 
first, what did they do to make it work? And then secondly, what did you do to make it work? I guess the two parts. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, they've done some, some very good work with uh, our advisory board. Uh, they, they, they took, you know, an outside uh, uh, advisor and consultant, you know, specialized in leadership and, and uh, HR. And that was, you know, part of bringing me in the organization. And that's something, you know, very interesting. Went through a lot, a lot of tests to find that, you know, the, the, the different types of personalities that we had between myself, Anthony and Dominic, I was, you know, right there where they had some gaps and, and the opposite as well. Like they had some strengths that I didn't have. So that's a little bit how I came in. And in terms of the leadership team, as uh, you know, I, I, I'd say, uh, you know, we've done a pretty, you know, uh, uh, big turnaround uh, at, and, and, and actually, a few of the management uh, was let go before I joined. And then after that, what's good, I mean, they, they gave me the opportunity to, to kind of start from uh, almost from a blank slate and, and rebuild the, the leadership team. Interesting. All right. You mentioned the acquisition. I wanted to ask you about that because it sounds like the acquisition did not go well. What? Yeah, in that case, but, you know, in the end, I think it was a great opportunity for a company, but uh, about a company... Uh, here that add that, you know, rather than building that new technology for permanent installations and, you know, key parks, water parks, they had a technology that, uh, you know, they developed over more than 10 years. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, I think the challenges when, when, we, uh, uh, when we've done the integration is, is typically uh, found a lot of, uh, you know, I would say customer satisfaction was not great. And we saw, you know, a lot of technical depth in the product. Uh, so we, we kind of give it a go for a period of, of six months to push it to the, you know, the, the, the best we could. And at some point, you know, came decision time. It's either we invest heavily to make it to the level we want or, uh, you know, we divest and, and build our own solution. And, and in that case, we, you know, we took it was honestly a big gamble at the time to say, OK, let's just go build build a new team and uh, you know divest from that acquisition and build a new product and uh, you know we were i'd say uh, in that case i think covid helped us a lot mm. because we you know we it give us you know a lot of time to focus on making it right and uh, actually you know a few months later we really came out i think winners out of this as uh, you know we on one end, we improved the quality of our product, improved customer satisfaction, reduced, uh, you know, our, 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 our base, uh, our cost base. While, you know, doing that acquisition still was very useful as we were able to uh, get a good grasp as a company as of what it is to, you know, uh, operate a water park or, uh, you know, our cultural attraction. And was the company that you acquired, were they local? Were they Montreal based or where were they? Yeah, local. Okay, so did you keep some of the people? Uh, yeah, ultimately, I think we we uh, we ended up, I think, selling back to the uh, to the uh, owner, uh, who's kind of maintaining and still running uh, running the business. Uh, and, and then, yeah, we found out. I mean, it, you know, very interesting, very good team uh, and good people we had to work with. But uh, but although it was a you know. Uh, uh, a few kilometers away, you may think, okay, Quebec, it's all the same cultures, different culture uh, that were not necessarily a fit, but uh, that, uh, you know, from uh, that, you know, was working well from a relationship perspective, but not necessarily uh, in line with the goals that the company had of, of really, I think, really 
you know, being ambitious and, and aiming at, you know, international success. It's interesting. Yeah. It, it, acquisitions are not, they're not easy. I mean, if you can get them to work, they can be good, but they can be tough. And, and, you know, and honestly, we spend the time, I must say sometimes, I mean, for most of the integration part used to spend, uh, you know, uh, alpha day in one office, alpha day in the, in the other office. I think we, we, you know, we, we did everything uh, that, that were in our powers. And, and I think that's what helped us kind of take the decision fast to say, okay, you know, we're not at the right place. Let's focus on the right things now. And you talked about focusing on OKRs. How is that bringing OKRs into the into the company? Is that oh, a big, big cultural shift of, of being, like I was saying earlier, kind of a, a effort driven or also driven that you see a lot in, in startups and being more of a scale up and, and growth company where you should fo- you know, focus on the outcomes and actually what are the leading indicators that bring you to the, to the outcomes. And uh, no, we've been now, I mean, now I think we're, we're a full year uh, through it now. I think we, we improved our process a, uh, quarter after quarter. Uh, and, and really now, I mean, we're, it's in our face. Uh, you know, we, we look at them with the leadership team uh, every week. And it's a way for us to say, you know, there's the day-to-day that we manage. And we're really focusing the OKRs on, on being separated from the day-to-day and say, okay, what are the steps that, you know, we're going to take as an organization uh, this, uh, you know, this quarter. Uh, for example, how, uh, you know, if there's one specific element that we want to improve or, or you know, uh, structure in, in, in uh, how we do, uh, you know, uh, uh, customer support, uh, anything special that we want to improve in our development process. So we use that to take the organization forward and not being cut all the time with the kind of the, 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 the day-to-day urgencies. Mm-hmm. How about on the on the people side of things? You said you had to do two rounds of layoffs. I think it was fifteen people and then ten more people. Yeah. How how did you manage the people through that process? Not so much the layoff. Well, tell us about the layoffs first. How did you do those, and how did you execute on those too? And then secondly, how did you manage the survivors afterwards? Yeah, uh, you know, we took time, and maybe because of our size. We took the time to do a, a human and personal approach. Uh, although at the time we were not able due to COVID to meet in person, but we, you know, we took time. I, I think either myself or or, or Dominique Desio, we took time to speak with each and every one that we had to let go. Uh, we we took time to uh, help them, you know, through reference letters, uh, our own networks uh, to 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 find uh, opportunities. What's good in you know other areas of of the tech market and things are are, are doing great. Uh, and even with people that were kind of for a period of time on temporary furlough, uh, we took time even to organize, uh, you know, meetings to involve people that were not active in the business to keep them in touch, to keep them informed. I think we were doing a monthly newsletter for, for people that uh, were temporarily laid off. And for the, the, the people in the company, I mean, we just made sure that, uh, you know, we were transparent all the time about, you know, what we know, what we don't know. And, and, you know, why we're making certain decisions and uh, explaining them. And, and even one element, for example, myself, I, I took the opportunity to do, you know, someone very uh, methodical about my, my own one-on-one, but I, I take now, time now to do skip levels and make sure that every quarter, uh, you know, I make sure to speak to everyone in a company. Uh, and, and also uh, uh, we have Sophie who's handling people with, with our team is someone good as well, who's at the same time getting the pulse from a different angle. So, so we try to be very proactive about any 
uh, issue risk going on uh, with our team so we can address them before you know there's any problem uh, surfacing. I like that. I wanted to ask you about your one-on-ones um, and then you mentioned the skip levels, but let's start with your one-on-one meetings. How does the structure for your one-on-one meetings work? Yeah, uh, I mean, typically very simple. First, uh, I mean, try to take time to engage on the, on the personal level to, you know, I, I think there's different, I would say, wonderful people uh, in the team just to know how things are going on in their, you know, personal lives. Uh, or, or any topic, hobbies that they have. Uh, and then after that, uh, open the floor for specifically whatever uh, they they, they want to discuss that day, either on the uh, you know on ongoing projects, which we try as much as possible to keep kind of a our other cadence of meeting to you know ma- manage everything related to 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 projects, sales, uh, product, uh, and then after that, I use the opportunity as well to provide coaching and feedback. Something I had to you know develop over the years where. Uh, you know, sometimes you, you're, you know, you're, you can be shy of providing direct feedback on, Hey, this is not what's uh, going well. And then oops, there's a surprise when you come at the quarterly or the really review. And I kind of made the habit of being, you know, blunt, direct. And actually I think you had, you know, a very good impact, uh, on the team. Cause now we, I think we, we were able to build more of a, a culture of, of learning and, and self-improvement. And, you know, everybody's transparent about it. And, uh, you know, there's, uh, it, it's all about getting better. Yeah. And being blunt and direct doesn't mean being an asshole either. It just means being direct, right? It's. Yeah. And as long as you're fact-based and, right. and that's where sometimes where you have, I mean, you don't need that much structure for a company of 25, but as long as when you make the expectations clear and you say, Hey, this were the results we were aiming at, we didn't achieve it. You know, tell me a little bit about it. How can I help you achieve there? And, you know, I think that, you know, I, I'd like you to focus on this and that in the next week, in the next quarter. And that's, that's where, I mean, what's the greatest thing I, you know, I, I find as a leader is when you see people take that feedback and then they, they take it, they run with it and, and they succeed. Um, you know, that's, I think a little bit, you know, and my passion is how, how I can make the team perform the best they can and individuals develop themselves the best they can then that's, uh, I mean, that, that's my pay at the end of the day. Yeah, I like that. All right, there's, a, there's an art to, uh, to running skip level meetings. Tell, tell us about how your skip level meeting process works. Yeah, uh, skip level, uh, again, try to engage and, and know the team. And, and actually, it's, it's good to know what, um, you know, specifically during COVID, very little uh, opportunities to get to know, to know the people in the team, to, to connect on a personal level. Uh, then really I'm asking a lot about uh, feedback on uh, what's going on on their day-to-day, uh, specifically what they, 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 they see that's working well, what they feel that's not working well. And I think always my killer question, I think everybody is always uncomfortable answering, but I say, okay, if you were in my position, like what decision would you take? What, you know, what would be the one thing you, you would change in a company? And, and I think, you know, I, I find every skip level, there's always, you know, one little thing I'm able to find that, that we can take away and, and, and improve and, and tweak in a business. Tell me, how do you deal with the fact when an employee brings something up and how do you prevent engaging? Like prevent, you know, if somebody says we should do this, yeah, we should do it. Like, how do you prevent getting too into what their boss should be dealing with? 
Yeah, but I, you know, I try to be very transparent and sometimes it's very good feedback. I, I, I bring back to their boss about, hey, you know, I had that discussion with, uh, uh, you know, with, with Joe and, and you know, you think, you know, uh, we should improve this in that process. You know, I'd like to get your perspective. What are we doing on that? And, uh, no, I, I think we were able to create an environment where, where people are, you know, pretty open and candid about their feedback and there's no uh, kind of, uh, I don't know, people with, with an agenda. I think everybody's seeing the effort leadership is doing to improve and, and, and they're part of it as well. Okay. If we're to go back to the 22-year-old Francois Pierre, who's graduating from college, getting ready to start in your career, what advice would you give yourself back then? Yeah, I think, you know, one element I, I, I would do is kind of, I kind of slowly went through more the entrepreneurial and, and, and startup way. Uh, I would have taken more risk earlier. You know, I spent my first 10 years in the, uh, I mean, in, the, in CE, the, the, the great, you know, flight simulation company where I had the opportunity to travel all over the world uh, and, and actually do many jobs. Uh, but, but I find, you know, the CEO role is so, uh, I would say, uh, fun, uh, impactful, uh, and, and rich in terms of experience that, uh, you know, I, I would have liked to make the jump earlier than that uh, in, in that type of role. Interesting. Yeah, I like the entrepreneurial zone too. Francois-Pierre Moffat, the COO for Connect and Go. Thanks very much for sharing with us today. I, I, this is a Connect and Go. We get to do the podcast. And now you off to the ski hill. So yeah. thank you. Thank you very much for the time today. Thank you very much, Cameron. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.